Hey everyone, this is Tyler again. Hope to see uh, yourself doing well. I'm doing okay over on my end as well. Uh, oh man, so I've been noticing that whenever I don't have anything in front of me to read, I really start to get a bit low and growly with my voice when I start talking like this all the time. And then it, it sounds really bad, honestly. I don't even know how people like would want to listen to that. So I'm going to do my best, try to keep more of an upbeat voice. Uh, something I've been noticing, uh, and it was prevalent in episode two and then episode four, my microphone had an issue with a uh, crackling sound. And I don't know if it, it's happening right now. I tried testing it, uh, and it seemed to have worked just fine in like uh, the 30 seconds I recorded, but who knows if it was going to not crackle in those 30 seconds and it got really prevalent at a couple of moments in the entirety of episode four and it drove me crazy i was just beyond myself i was already a week late trying to get the episode out because i wanted to focus on some stuff like you know birthday party with my son and all that as well as spending some time with friends only to you know finally get to it and then all that happens and i was like oh crap I'm going to have to spend another couple of nights trying to, you know, re-record this whole thing. And I sat there and just continued to stare at it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to duct tape the crap out of it. <laughs> and so I started going through little sections here and there where the crackles got bad. And I started fixing them up. And when everything was said and done, I'm like, okay, you know, my, my faith in uh, a higher power, let, let's, let's send it in. And I'm sure it'll be great. And then I finally got to listen to it, and there's like two spots where it's like I, <laughs> it crinkled or snapped so hard that I like cringed. I'm like, oh god, I, I literally have a, well, figuratively have a firework in my audio. That's not good. So I get to, you know, find that at some point, or leave it alone and accept it as a audio imperfection that I love. But that kind I didn't. I did not. I really put a lot of work into that one, and to have the audio suffer like that. It really hurt, but maybe that's just me being the perfectionist. Uh, actually covering 30th Studios felt like a whole different beast. It was interesting because I never really heard of 38 Studios until I actually read the book Press Reset, which, you know, this whole report was like almost completely like it, it, th Press Reset was pretty much like the life support for this whole thing. If I were to take that away, I would immediately be pulling the plug, essentially. So, <laughs> uh, Otherwise, it's just like looking at all the cool stuff that uh, 38 Studios and Kurt Schilling and Brett Close all shared. And it's like, everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. And then, you know, 2012, everybody was miserable. It was terrible. Everything was shutting down. People didn't have jobs. We don't know what's going on. And it's like, I couldn't find anything that actually suggested how bad things were going except for the book. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to look for other sources. And every time I found a good source, it pointed to the book. And I got a little bit nervous because Jason Schreier is an excellent person that does great in terms of getting their sources, finding the, you know, proof that this was a real thing. The problem is, though, Jason Schreier's book isn't really a primary source because he wasn't there. He was getting... Uh, first-hand accounts from people that were there. And so all this stuff was based on a second-hand source, and that really made me feel bad. And it, I had to lean really heavily on the news articles that came from the local Rhode Island news to really support the whole idea of what was going on. 
And I had to be careful with that because the news is incredibly biased. So it's like, how much of it was actual facts and how much was it just Rhode Island people shaking their fists at the sky saying, dang you, Kurt Schilling. But I, I think I found just enough information here and there to help support each person's claim. And at the same time, just when I started looking into Kurt Schilling, it, like the report, you'll probably notice it here and there. Like I got really, really, really dazzled by him. Because he sounded like an awesome baseball player that, you know, that's what 99% of people know him for. And so when you say Kurt Schilling, I, you know, ask my coworkers and none of my friends because they don't do sports. Like, hey, do you know Kurt Schilling? They're like, yeah, uh, Boston Red Sox, bloody socks. And it's like, oh, yeah. Did you uh, know he did a video game company? No. <laughs> so... It, <laughs> So then when I try to bring it up, everybody's like, oh, yeah, Kurt Schilling. Wait, you trying to hurt? You trying to hate on my boy? Are you trying to hate on my boy? All, all my homies hate people who try to hate on my boy. And so it felt awkward. But then I started looking at stuff that he created directly that wasn't tied to the company. And so the first thing that drew me was his Twitter. And suddenly I'm starting to see all sorts of nasty, horrific stuff coming out of his Twitter. And it's like, okay. Looking at the baseline of the fact that he's a very diehard conservative Republican, that's that's okay from you know the arcade report uh, standpoint, because that doesn't instantly make you a bad person to have those values necessarily, or at least not enough in my opinion, because he's still a human after all, and even if he has you know thoughts I might not agree with, it doesn't make him like you know the devil, <laughs> even though I have a feeling that some people like. If they saw a Democrat as a conservative, you know, anyways, yeah, that's political anyways. But then I started seeing some of the stuff where it's like, he just responds to people, uh, instantly sometimes and just, you know, just slap them down insult. Like, well, you're nothing. And it's like, oh damn, jeez, <laughs> he, cause that other person had a different opinion that he didn't like. So he would just swing that, uh, big ol' uh, Twitter handle, I'm not going to go into detail in any other, any other direction, and just uh, slam him down. And so he's just constantly bickering with people, I'm guessing for fun, just to feel alive at this point. And there are, in fact, a lot of tweets that I managed to find that uh, are really concerning <laughs> as a person. And that's what really scared me, because I knew if I saw certain tweets like... Uh, his transphobic stuff and his, uh, there is quite a few moments of like, uh, things that might be racy or racial. Just, you know, it just makes you cringe when you look at like, Ooh, Kurt, come on. And looking at all that, and there's like, Oh, now I got to do a report where, you know, he's helping hundreds of people get a job and then fulfill his dream. And I'm like, wait, well, it's their dream too, right? And my brain, evil Kermit frog in the back of my head. No, it was really his dream. It had nothing to do with them. They were just pawns. And it's like, oh God, I've been tainted. Evil Kermit, evil, uh, <laughs> actually, I was about to say evil conservative Republican Kermit, but I don't want to go down that route. Uh, it was really awkward trying to bring any kind of uh, politics into an episode because that's usually not my jam. I always tried at the very least to avoid uh two specific things and i broke one of those rules uh i tried to avoid bringing in religion and politics and that's just a general rule of thumb whenever i'm podcasting because if you do that 
chances are you're going to lose half your audience. <laughs> so it's like if I go in and I say, I hate Joe Biden, whoop, there goes all my, uh, you know, Democratic friends. And then if I go in and say, Trump really stank, <laughs> well, I'm assuming guns will get pulled up. So it's very hard to, you know, tread that kind of path. But at the same time, it seems like Kurt Schilling wanted to make that a strong part of his persona after what happened with 38 Studios. And I want to give it to him if he's going to wield it so broadly. It's just kind of disappointing seeing somebody who did such great things feel like politics needs to be the greatest part of your life, especially if you're not going to be a, you know, a politician. <laughs> Looking at more things with uh, 38 Studios, I really, really, uh, I, I daydreamed at one point what would have happened if Copernicus really came out. If their MMO really got completed and they just went for it because Kurt openly admitted multiple times that he loved playing World of Warcraft. So he would have known exactly what he needed at the time in, you know, 2007, the 2010 period back when it was just starting what he needed to do. And the world of Azeroth is humongous and it would have been a daunting toll even for 60 people to try to build a world that large. And I kind of wish that they just focused on maybe one island. Doesn't have to be two islands, doesn't have to be huge, maybe a couple of small islands. Just you know, start little. Uh it doesn't have to be humongous because I discovered that you don't I mean it's nice to have a lot of diversity, but the world doesn't have to be humongous like World of Warcraft did. Like that's a comical amount of length that really never should have been done. Uh, <laughs> Nowadays, like you can fly and stuff in Azeroth, but back in the day, when if you were lucky to have a mount, uh, you know, it'd still be a very slow ride around the entire place, or you know, getting flight points to fly around. And that's if you're lucky. Back you know, in the very early days, you pretty much had to be filthy rich in order to get a ride. <laughs> Otherwise, you were just stuck walking around, and it would take literal hours to get from one point to another. And that's if you're not getting murdered by something. And Unfortunately, I don't know how big Copernicus really did end up getting before it got shut down. I, I got a nice couple of looks at it. Well, I say nice. They're very blank and muted. Like, uh, I didn't mention this in the show, but while 38 Studios was falling apart and things were shut down, a few of the employees that remained for the couple of days before, uh, crap, I forgot his name. Basically, uh, the uncle, or, yeah, uncle-in-law, the one that sent the email saying you're not family anymore. Uh, before that, there was a couple of people still there, and they put together a small trailer for Copernicus, kind of like a, hey, don't worry, Kurt Schilling's going to save us. We'll be fine. People of Earth, we need your energy. We're going to show you this two-minute video of uh, what our world of Copernicus looks like. Just believe in us and... I don't know, bail us out of this uh, hellish landscape of uh, financial death. And I looked at it, and it's completely devoid of any NPCs whatsoever. It was just like fantastical uh, flying around through, you know, pretty cool-looking 3D models and stuff of uh, very empty cities. And I wonder what it would be like if we got a hold of that world, like the, the actual files, because we know that uh, custom World of Warcraft servers can be done. Uh, not legally, but it can be done. So I wonder uh, if it is possible to actually get a hold of something like that and, you know, spruce it up, if you will. 
And we also know that uh, Copernicus and, uh, oh God, I'm trying to, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to say this because it, <laughs> Kingdoms of Ambular, Reckoning. I always have to hesitate when I say that, which you don't mess with me. Anyways, uh, THQ Nordic owns both of those. And we know that uh, Kingdoms of Amalur has been out on PC for the past couple of years because, you know, it got released eight years ago or no, 10 years ago now. Uh, but Copernicus is in their possession. I don't know what their position is because back in around 2012, the you know, within a couple of years, I believe they declared bankruptcy and then they got bought by somebody and then got revamped back up to like uh, pretty much like THQ's last stand. And so I don't think they're in a high position right now to actually be able to uh, bring Copernicus back to the forefront. I'm looking it up now just to see uh, what THQ Nordic has going on. Looks like they got a, uh, let's see, 2012 or 2022. Uh, they announced something called uh, Alone in the Dark. Well, let's see. THQ announced several new games. Oh, well, that's a good sign. Across different genres, including racing, RTS, and more. This was uh, just out uh, yesterday for a news article. They got Tempest Rising. It looks pretty promising. Recreation. Oh, I, I see what they did there. Because it's rec like a car wreck. But then it's creation, and it's about cars and stuff. And then space for sale. Hopefully that's not Copernicus being sold. And then destroy all humans too. Reprobed. Okay. Uh, so it looks like they got a lot of stuff going on right now. The give people hope. It looks like they got a ton of stuff. Holy smokes. Uh, except for the fact that there's no signs of Copernicus uh, being done anytime soon. So I'm guessing that's going to get shelled forever. And... I'm not sure if uh, somebody from Nordic's going to slip out with Copernicus on a flash drive and kind of, you know, send it out into the world. And, and then we make our own kind of thing, uh, you know, and then it gets burnt to the ground. It would be nice, though. It, it would be nice. Oh, uh, man. Also, uh, it was interesting how politics or sorry, the state of Rhode Island was able to make a deal like this. The whole seventy five million dollar thing, because as I was looking into it, from what I can tell. Rhode Island itself didn't necessarily actually uh, have the $75 million in like a chest and they just pushed it forward. It seemed like what happened was they had an EDC, which I believe was called the Economic uh, Development Committee, which uh, took on investors to pool their money into this uh, war chest for them, which was like banks, credit unions, large businesses and the like. And that was meant to be shuffled and passed out to different businesses in Rhode Island to make that a little bit more profitable for everybody. And so it was technically the state holding the money, but it was still technically investors, except those investors weren't ready to give all that money the Kurt Schilling. I think that's why he only got 49 of the $75 million, because a lot of the investors freaked the heck out and then decided to get cold feet with the deal even though they promised the money. I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a wild guess. What happened was it was time to call out the $75 million. People started looking around and like half of them said, I am going to pull out of this deal. There's no way I'm giving money to a baseball player with that much money to make an MMO. <laughs> it, but I, I didn't find anything else about it beyond that. So I think that makes sense. It's not confirmed, so please don't quote me on that. Oh, man. Uh, in real life, 
the reason, another reason why this got delayed so hard was because it was a few days that I was able to do something like this and a couple of things happened. The first one was my son has been having trouble sleeping, uh, mostly because he's gotten a fever. Apparently, uh, he's gotten, I think it was the measles, uh, vaccine in, in a couple of weeks, which is AKA this week. Uh, he was going to be showing signs of a uh, fever state and what she did. And the second thing with that is he's learned to scream. I thought before the last time, like I spoke and I recorded, he learned to scream, but that was him shouting. Uh, this is now full on. Somebody's getting stabbed screaming. And since he's in a fever state, he's more easily upset. And so if something just doesn't go like a percent right for him, like, you know, he's walking by, he has his milkies, but when he lifts it up, it boops him in the nose. Uh, it's just full on ear splitting screeches. And that is, oof. uh, the biggest problem is if, cause I'm a third shifter, I'm sleeping during the day. And all of a sudden I hear somebody screaming, you know, like a murder's happening. I launch out of bed, like what the heck is going on here? And then it's weird and kind of awkward that I have to train myself saying, oh, he's just screaming because he's upset that he isn't getting his milk fast enough. Do not panic. Do not leap out of bed and pull another muscle, a muscle in your shoulder again, which I have done. I have pulled the muscle in my shoulder sheath area, uh, swinging myself out of bed so quickly <laughs> because I'm getting old. And, uh, the second thing besides, uh, not basically it was, I wasn't getting enough proper sleep, so I'd sleep more, which was problematic. So I'd have to go to bed sooner to uh, compensate for that. The second thing was I was, uh, before I was playing a lot of destiny Two, which, you know, in its own, it, you can play it in, uh, sections, if you will. Like, uh, basically like I can play for an hour or two and I come out satisfied cause I did something. Uh, but then I made the mistake of, uh, discovering something most people will know as Among Us. And, uh, it turns out I really liked the game Among Us. And so because of that, I have taken a lot of time out of my life to play Among Us. It started when I was playing with a couple of my friends, and then I decided to watch YouTube videos, which then I discovered, uh, the 100 Thieves team and all of them, such as Disguised Toast. Uh, YouTube streamers, essentially, uh, or YouTube creators at the very least, playing a lot of modded Among Us. And as a result, I fell in love with modded Among Us. And then I discovered I can very easily, and anybody can very easily mod Among Us, uh, where you get new roles and all that stuff. And then I found out that uh, one of the mods is a in-game voice chat, which also doubles as a way to find people in public lobbies. And once I found a couple of public lobbies that wasn't a bunch of toxic 12-year-olds, and you can actually find groups that are, you know, I say normal very loosely, but there you go, I would suddenly, like, get drawn in for hours at a time. Like, it was always just one more game syndrome kind of thing. And for you know, it's like, oh no, I was supposed to be in bed an hour and a half ago. I need to break off. <laughs> and so I started doing that instead of actually uh, doing my recording part. Because I was so excited to play record uh, or play Among Us that it's like, well, do I want to talk about this nightmare scenario of a company getting shut down after a dream scenario gets set up, 
or do I want to do my task and uh, get murdered by somebody and then get blamed for being murdered? <laughs> it's like, both sound good. And I think that's what kind of led to my next uh, topic. And I said this on Twitter that I usually don't do something like this. I usually don't call my shot or announce my next topic. I try to keep it, you know, close to the chest. I believe were the words. Uh, I want to talk about video game addiction in the next episode. And I'm a little bit nervous. I'm going to save like the topic itself, you know, the after show and stuff for the next time I do the off the, the script like this one. But it seems like uh, it's both very easy to do because I can find pretty easy sources to uh, connect to uh, from very different uh, fields, fields of subject. But I can also get a little bit more personal with it. And this whole thing is meant for me to get personal in the first place. You know, this off the script thing so I can talk directly to you guys. But I feel like something like that is going to be a lot more personal than I realized. And it's... The only thing I'm worried about is I need to make sure it gets tied to the video game industry because there is actually a lot you can tie into uh, video game addiction because most people, when they think of addiction, they're like, ah, oh, you play a video game so much, it's ruining your life, la-di-da. Well, it's like, what about being addicted to the part of video games where you, uh, you got to deal with loot boxes? And it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's a gambling addiction. Well, yeah, but it's in a video game. Why, you know, why are video game companies introducing loot boxes? Why is there two countries in Europe that flat out ban loot boxes and stuff like that? Like uh, how some video game companies, they either have zero or a reflective uh, stance on mental health and gaming addiction. Uh, I, I'm not going to name names until I do my proper research. I was about to. Uh, some people have, uh, you know, it's your own problem kind of thing. We're not here to take care of it. We provide the means for you to be able to do it. So it's not our fault you're addicted to our games. Some people are, you know, they build games around it for the sole purpose for you to get addicted, such as MMOs and other games that require a massive amount of gambling. Uh, gotcha games and the like. Gotcha games are like 100% uh, circled around people who are either addicted or really like waifus. <laughs> Uh, snap. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm hoping to get around that, talk about it. I am planning to talk about something deeply personal in that one. So hopefully you get to hear it. It's going to be an interesting one. I've talked about it now and then with certain friends and in groups and stuff, but never in this detail before. Like, I type something down, I'm like, holy crap. There's only one person in the world that knows this, and it's the person I did it to. And I, I it was, a chance encounter, I did something god-awful, and that was it, because of gaming addiction. And there, you know, there's plenty of things I've done that's uh, less than favorable, and I think that's another reason why I'm doing it, is because uh, not only is gaming addiction, like, something I'm very, very familiar with, uh, I wouldn't say professionally, but uh, as the other end of the glass, or other side of the glass, I did a lot of trash-talking for Kurt Schilling, and a little bit towards, uh, well, a lot towards Atari people. It's like, I got to keep myself humble and remind myself I'm not perfect either. So I think uh, talking about gaming addiction will definitely keep me in check, at least for a few more episodes. And then I'll start to get a little feisty again and uh, start gnawing at somebody's ankles. Uh, well, if you're here still thus far, I end up doing a episode of something called Versus And, which is part of the final plank uh, group that I end up joining. 
that finally pulled through. We got together, we recorded, and it's out right now. Uh, so if you want to take a chance, uh, it was episode 3.1. I believe that means it's season three, episode one, question mark, uh, versus and. And you can find it on finalplank.com. I took a notice and I saw that my friend LR11 has an updated picture for his podcast, Cultural Lenses, and that looks pretty cool. And I have an episode uh, out with him there as well. I'm not sure if that's going to be the newest episode, like, say, today or tomorrow. But as of right now, there's an episode out where he got a bunch of friends, uh, including myself, talking about DMing as Dungeon Masters for D&D. And I was a little upset. Because my voice was crackly in that. And it's like, oh no, it was during the cursed crackly age. And right now, I'm blissfully telling myself there's zero crackles in anything right now that's happening in this recording. I am living off that dream right now. You can't take that away from me. Because if there is crackles, and if you're like me, you're probably not listening to this sentence right now. So I'm going to bank that you're still listening and I'm still talking. And I get to look up at this beautiful picture one of my friends painted for me, Shelby. She painted this, uh, it's a little painting that says, Roll for Initiative. And I'm really appreciating it. Uh, mostly because it's in my computer room right now and no longer in my bathroom. I thought it was funny when I hang hung it over my bathroom toilet rolls. Uh, but apparently it wasn't as uh, funny, you know, the idea of rolling initiatives to take a poop. But, uh, you know, here we are. Anyways, uh, going back to uh, the podcast, it's been interesting because I get hyped up for it. And then once I do start, like, my re- research and stuff, it's like cranking up a generator. And it goes from a nice cold start to just full on all in. I got to type, 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 type. And it's like, okay, just try to type uh, 8,000 words. 8,000 words. That's okay. You know, here, let me take a look at, at, uh, or Atari Redux, which is episode three. How many words I end up typing for that? Because I think uh, that was a good amount. I typed 8,400 words. And that got me just a little bit over an hour of recording. And so... I need to make sure not to break past 8,000. Uh, preferably, I want to get between six to 7,000. And then I started typing up episode five and all that stuff, and I'm not even finished with my story, and I'm at 1,300 words. And so I don't know whether or not I'm going too slow or if I need to fire it up and go even more crazy with the details. And I think what happens every time is I go too crazy with the details and then I end up with a two hour uh, script that I then need to, you know, whittle down or talk a little bit quicker. So I think I'm just going to enjoy the pace I have. And if I need to pad it up a little bit afterwards, that's what uh, good, you know, YouTube reference videos are for. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, This weekend, I got a couple of fun things happening. My brother-in-law just came back from uh, his just, uh, I think, on a break from service. He's in the uh, the armed forces, and we're going to a wedding reception for him. I believe he got married right before he went out, just to make sure she could come come with him legally and all that stuff. And now he came back, and we're finally able to do a proper wedding reception. And then uh, I also have my uh, birthday party coming out for my nephew and niece. Oh man, and I, I guess I goofed up a little bit. The for my nephew, he's, I think he's nine years old. I believe he's nine. And my sister asked me to chip in some money for a VR headset. So that was easy enough. 
But for my niece, who is, I believe, she's like exactly two years younger than him. So if he's nine, I'm hypothetically saying she's seven. And she was like, my sister was like, oh, she wants high heels. And my eyeballs about darn popped out. And like, she wants what? And it's like, yeah, she wants high heels. I'm like, okay, you want me to buy her a chainsaw too? Like, uh, this is getting a little ridiculous, don't you think? I didn't say that to my sister because I love her. And I bought the world's shortest high heels I could find. So I didn't have to worry. You know, I didn't want to be the person to blame when uh, she snaps her ankles trying to walk around as this freaking seven-year-old with high heels. And I was like, you know, back in my day, we, (laughs) at her age, I'd probably want like roller shoes or something like that. You know, where heelys, I think they're called, where you kick the roller out of uh, the heel of your shoe and you just roll around. Or even just light-up shoes. And she's like, yeah, but then she would fall immediately over. Uh, she would need uh, you know, knee uh, pads and a helmet for something like that. And so what happened, and this is where I goofed up. This is where the communication lines got crossed a little bit here. I didn't read that part. I had in my cart a pair of the world's shortest high heels. And then I looked real quick, and she was like, ha-ha, yeah, she's probably going to need knee pads and a helmet. I'm like... Oh, my sister's being funny. Uh, she's going to need high knee pads for a high heels. Okay, okay. I'm not buying the helmet. And so I ordered knee pads. And I was like, all right, I got the knee pads and the high heels. And she's like, oh, uh, should I go and buy the, the roller blades then? And I'm like, roller blades? These knee pads are for, for, the, for the high heels. And my sister is just like, Tyler, you did not read any of that conversation. So apparently I bought knee pads uh, unwittingly uh, for my little niece. For these high heels. And I still think I'm in the right. Affirmative bias, uh, be darned. But, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen. These inches stick off the ground like half an inch. Once if she catches, I don't know, on a pebble or something, she starts to swivel. Uh, at least the knee pads will be there. And who knows? Maybe she wants to uh, jump the baby gate or something over at her house and her heels catch. Well, I guess if that happens, it means her head's going to go smacking into the floor and I should got the helmet. Oh my gosh, I goofed up. Okay, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about this because everything's going to be fine. My seven-year-old niece is not going to get, you know, a double wear Prada high heels and try to jump over this baby gate and go face first into the ground because that's not how this works. <laughs> she's going to get it. She's going to love both of them. She's probably going to toss the kneecaps to the side and everybody's going to be happy. Maybe. We'll find out. Anyways, uh, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you got this far, and I will see you next week. I really appreciate it for listening to this. It means a lot to me. This is the time I get to talk, and maybe somebody listens, right? Right?